0: Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com.
1: Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the
0: elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Lo Hornbuckle today, who is a phenomenal developer, investor, and purpose-driven individual. And you're going to learn so much today about how being a Renaissance man and really being curious and integrating learnings and multidisciplinary learning into your real estate business can impact not only your impact, but it can also impact your bottom line in so many different capacities. And it really can make life worth living. It can make business worth struggling through, right? Because it's not always easy, right? It's not always totally smooth and simple to do big things, whether it's in real estate or otherwise. But I think you're going to get a lot of that firepower from today's episode. I want to encourage you to really buckle up because today's episode is phenomenal. And Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar. And before we dive into this episode, I want to ask you, if you haven't done so already, give us a rating, a review, and subscribe and follow Elevate Podcast wherever it is that you listen or watch uh, podcasts. And, um, you know, it obviously helps us as we continue to bring massive value. Uh, Beyond that, we'd love to ask you uh, to pay the fee, which is really just to share this with someone that you care about, someone that you maybe have just met, someone that you've known for a long time, maybe someone that you'd like to reconnect with. Share this episode, share this podcast with someone that you care about. That's the fee if you've already done that one time, thank you so much. We just ask you that you do that one more time. You share this with someone that you care about. If you feel so inclined, share this on social media, share this with your network and tell them what are your takeaways, or you know what? I really love this podcast because, you know, one of the things that's so important is that the word because is one of the most influential words in the English language. And the reason why is because people need reasons to understand and to to take certain actions. And we can be more influential when we give people reasons why. And it's not because I said so, it's because this was impactful because, right? And, and there's so many different ways where we can really apply that in our life, in our business, and in the way that we impact other people. So I just wanna encourage you to share this. And let's dive in. I wanna introduce you to Lo Hornbuckle of Dallas, Texas, who is the CEO and founder of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care. Founded in 2015, Sage Oak isn't just another assisted living company. Sage Oak is the boutique assisted living company with five locations in Dallas and a total of 40 beds. Sage Oak provides small, intimate home settings that allow those who need a little extra care to receive the love and dignity that they deserve. Sage Oak also has two ground-up boutique assisted living memory care developments in Texas and Louisiana, totaling just under 300 beds with an estimated dollar value of $45 million. For more about operations related to boutique senior housing, visit thesageoak.com. Um, and of course, co-founded, uh, he, he also co-founded Goodhorn Capital, a private equity firm focused on recession-resistant assets like multifamily and build-to-rent developments. For more about investing, go to goodhorncapital.com. So you're going to learn a lot about Low Hornbuckle today, the man, the leader, um, the individual behind this purpose and behind this big vision. And I want you to take a look about how can you integrate some of his characteristics into your own approach? How can you integrate some of the learnings from the insights into your own leadership approach and how you integrate with other people? So this is an opportunity for you to become that next version of yourself. So without further ado, enjoy this phenomenal conversation with Low Hornbuckle. Low Hornbuckle, my man, how are you doing? Tyler, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great myself. Well there you go. I like that. I was I was wondering if you were going to tell me how you're doing, but I am doing well and uh I'm excited because every time I hang out with you, which is it's not enough, but every time I hang out with you I laugh. And that's I think that's important, but what do you think about that? I think
1: I'm I'm moderately funny, um but uh you know, I think I'm very funny compared to the average <laughs> engineer in our business. Um, so I think I think it's just one of those situations where like, if you're on a flight and the flight attendant's relatively attractive, she's way more attractive because the options are, are, are lower. <laughs> so I think that my funny is just relative to the type of people we hang out with. Um,
0: and, there you go. There you go. Good. No, uh, you're you're being very uh, you know self-deprecating in that because I think you're not giving yourself enough credit, which I think is a great thing. But man, I tell you what, the first time I met you, you you had me rolling. And I just think there's so much power in humor because what we do a lot of times in real estate and, and even just building businesses and you know being a leader of other people and, and having a big vision in life is very challenging. And sometimes you just lose sight of some of the finer things, which to me, laughter is a beautiful thing, but does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, totally. And I think the first time we met, I just come off stage uh, and uh, there's a decompression period for me. And when I come off stage, I am a a wild person. So, and I wasn't (laughs) even, everyone else was having a cocktail or two and I, I didn't have any. So I was just coming off the stage like a crazy person. So I'm glad that that Moment in time is frozen for you because you can. I'm not normally always like that. I'm actually (laughs) often really quiet. Uh, People don't realize that I either have two speeds on or off. And uh, when I'm Mm -hmm. on, it's uh, the low show has begun. And when I'm off, it's uh, you wouldn't even know that I was there.
0: Yeah. I think that oh. decompression thing is really interesting. I I, I've, I can resonate with that as well because I can be hyper-focused and I'm all in on something, but when that, when, when we have accomplished the goal, it's like, man, I have to totally decompress. And like, you couldn't get me to accomplish anything for, for a period sure. of time. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. And we all have a dynamic personality and it's just not, it's not just one gear, right? We shift down, we shift up. And I think every listener has that part of that dynamic personality and whatever sense that is, it could be totally different than the way yours or my personality is. But I think it's important to understand that important to, because it's a long journey, right? But as we dive into this conversation, Lo, if you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest friends or family members who know you best, what would they say about low hornbuckle?
1: You know, I was reading your your notes for the show and that's a, that's a damn fine question, I must say. Um, so sorry for the cursing. I just, it's going to come out naturally. I'm going to take the Gary V approach to this thing, but um, you know, ultimately um, you know, I thought about that. I don't really know. I, I think they would say that I'm a, I'm a loyal friend that I'm, I'm uh that I do have multi multitudes of my personality. Uh, I'm into a lot of strange hobbies. So I play poker semi-professionally. I shoot, Firearms, long range, like a thousand to fifteen hundred yards. Um, so I'm kind of this um, this odd Renaissance man, but but only in so much as I can't fix anything, I can't build anything. You know, I have no useful skills other than. Other than, you know, poker and shooting guns and maybe telling a few jokes. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's a great question. I, I feel like now I think the value of this show for me is I'm going to go ask my friends what they would say about me. So that in <laughs> case anyone ever asked this question or on the rare chance that I'm one of your only repeat guests many, many years down the road, I'll have a much more sophisticated answer uh, laid out for you.
0: So we got uh, the growth is really happening in front of our eyes, right? Because now this is causing you to have some more introspection in terms of, well, how would people describe me? Right. And it's almost like taking ourselves out of our own shoes to say, well, what is my impact on other people? And, And what am I really rubbing off on other people? So I think it's a valuable question for all of us to ask. Sure. How would how would the closest friends and family members of any of the listeners how would how would they describe you? And so I think that question, man, it's, I love it too because it, it allows us to really step out of ourselves and gain that perspective. But you you mentioned Renaissance, man. What what exactly do you mean by that?
1: I just have a lot of varied interests. You know, I uh, you know obviously I think that term came about when there was a lot of different disciplines sort of happening simultaneously, and and uh, so for me, I just I have a lot of. Uh, you know, obviously there's not a lot of people that, that are into, and most people have very particular hobbies and mine are just kind of sporadic and just things that I kind of get into. Like most people when they hear like long range shooting, um, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like it for the adrenaline rush. I actually like, is it it's relaxing because when you're shooting long range, it's more about breathing. It's about controlling your body. It's about uh, it's, you're not shooting very fast in many cases. Um, and so it's more about precision. It's more about, you know, thinking through a problem, you know, right. You've got, you know, gravity's constant, but uh, the wind's not. And, you know, other other environmental impacts change it. So, we're shooting really far. You've got to consider barometric pressure. You've got to consider which hemisphere are you in. There's a lot that goes to it. And so, it's really kind of a fun math problem that it only gets executed when you breathe properly and control your body and pull the trigger appropriately, as an example, right? So, uh, that's a hobby that's not super common, right? So, you know, so I think it's just because I'm interested in a lot of different stuff. I'm sort of the type of person that would be prone to, to reading a book about self-improvement and I'd also read like a Stephen Hawking book and then Google every other word about black holes. Um, so I just kind of, I have a lot of different interests. I, the whole world is a very curious place to me. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people, we get so focused in our niches or our silos that we don't ask broader questions. Um, And I enjoy, you know, I just enjoy uh, learning about lots of different stuff. So that's that's probably why I felt that way
0: man, that resonates with me very deeply. And that's one of the things that I love about doing the podcast as an example, is I get to scratch that curiosity. itch so deeply, it's like, I want to know. And the more I've become awareness of, or I've gained awareness in terms of my own deep sense of curiosity, the more my life has gained depth and color and excitement. And I'm sure that's the case for you. And you talk about even just hobbies and learning how you can apply certain curiosities or learnings in terms of not only your biology in terms of your breathing, but also what's happening in your environment and also, you know, the mechanics and perhaps even the mathematics of of long range shooting. I think that's really, really interesting. But when did you discover that curiosity? I mean, when did you discover sort of that was your baseline and, and really something that really kind of continued to open your eyes? Well, I mean, I, I definitely as a child, I mean I was definitely I think if
1: you had asked me that question about how people would describe me as a child, I probably would have used the word precocious. Um I was an only child. And so I had to sort of make, let's just say family vacations weren't very fun because I would just be me and my parents and they were on vacations. They wanted to relax. And when you're a kid, you want to do stuff. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I had to kind of, I had to just kind of, you know, I had to read a lot. I had to, you know, go outside and explore and, you know, sort of test boundaries and, and things like that. So, I mean, as a kid, I was always in trouble. I was always into something because I was just, I was exploring and um, I wouldn't say I was bad but I definitely wasn't good. So I was somewhere (laughs) on the spectrum of... Of being a bad kid, uh, I did some bad things. Uh, you know, I did some really great things, and uh, but I learned a lot. And you know, I think uh, I just sort of kept that. I never really, um, I never really grew up from a curiosity point of view. You know, you know, when you're a kid, there's all these things you do that you know, as an adult, maybe aren't socially acceptable. And I think there's a lot of people that make the argument that as kids we kind of had it figured out, and that as adults we lose an element of that. And I certainly would agree with that perspective. But from a curiosity standpoint, I'm as curious now uh, as, as I ever have been.
0: Yeah. And I think that we all need to be more like kids in terms of our curiosity, but kind of going back to the rebelliousness of what you just described, it's almost like you are exploring those boundaries, right? You're exploring the edges of what would be acceptable, what's not acceptable in society. And it almost seems like in some ways you're doing that professionally now, like you're continuing to push the bounds in terms of what what really is, you know, the baseline of, hey, what's possible, right? And being a developer, obviously, I would imagine you're continuing to question conventional wisdom, continuing to question, you know, what's been done before and create something new as a result of that curiosity. Am I, am I understanding that or, or making the correct assumption there?
1: No, I mean, you know, fundamentally, I mean, I think um, some of the work that we do, some, some of the work we do at our company is incredibly easy, Um, But a big chunk of what we do is incredibly hard and, you know, look operating in assisted living and memory care, very difficult developing, especially in a, in a in a difficult supply chain environment like we have now, very difficult. But I, I would say I'm not a religious man. But the closest thing I can come to a spiritual experience is when you visit a field, uh, just a just a field for three years, and then one day it becomes something else, and it becomes something that people are going to experience joy, happiness. They're going to eat there. They're going to live there. Uh, they're going to they're going to go through visit families, and then you know often go through end of life in, in this place and to just create something from 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 nothing uh, or at least create the field was nothing. I just took a lot of raw materials. It didn't come from nothing, but uh, that's a really um, that I didn't really have that experience. And I've only recently started to accept to call myself a developer because I'm like the least handy developer ever, so I can't I can't do anything. So it feels really insane. Like you know when I'm talking to people, I'm like, oh okay, you're 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 a builder. I'm like, no, no, I hire those. I I can't build anything. Um, So it's it's really cool because you know development really is about um, bringing people together and it's about creating a symphony, right? So you've got all these different instruments that have to sort of work in conjunction. And so it's been really fun to um, be in situations where maybe there's a interpersonal matter between, you know, two of the members of the team, like maybe the there's a couple of man- project managers and they're squabbling and like you have to sit them down. Maybe they don't even work for me. And I'm like, all right, let me just coach, train and lead, right? So um, there's just a lot of really really cool stuff that comes from that. You know, we've overcome a lot of adversity for some of the projects that we've done. So um, you definitely get a a real sense of, I would say self-worth, but also self-confidence when you can just, you know, that old saying, everyone's got a plan until you get punched. Mm -hmm. As a developer and as a developer of assisted living and memory care, you're going to get punched, sometimes literally. And um, (laughs) especially in the case of dementia clients. Um, And so, you know, you just have to, Draw from the experience of going. Hey, I've done this before. I know how to do this. You know, I'll overcome this as well. Because I think a lot of people avoid uh, things like development because they see it as so challenging and they see it as so difficult. Um, they sell themselves short. They don't. They aren't willing to put themselves in a position to push the needle. And you know, I, I really have no business uh, being an innovator in assisted living and memory care, except for the fact that I have no business being an innovator because innovation never comes from the inside. Because if you're on the inside, you often can't see the forest for the trees. And so, you know, most innovators don't come from the industry, they change. Um, And so you have to come from a different perspective. You have to ask the questions that are somewhat dogmatic, right? Meaning that, you know, we've always done things this way. Well, why have you always done them this way? If, what if there was a better way? And and that's a question that a lot of people don't ask when they're in the industry. It gets beaten out of them. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that development really is a problem-solving exercise. It's definitely no different than long range shooting or working on a Rubik's cube or playing a game of chess or, or playing poker. It's it's a, it's a problem solving exercise. It's a leadership exercise. Um, so, you know, that's why I think I get a lot of satisfaction from that. I don't have that same experience when I buy some existing thing and change the occupancy. And that's not to say that other folks don't have that experience because some do. It just doesn't make me feel that way. Um, I enjoy the building of things, as opposed to the the building of a team, the building of a building, as opposed to, um, you know, just taking something over that someone else did.
0: There's so much value in what you just described there. And and I know that um, at least from what I understand, your background, at least in real estate, you know, started in terms of, all right, well, acquiring existing asset, improving the operations of that asset, and, you know, enjoying the financial benefits of that. And you didn't feel that sort of purpose-driven outcome that you do now feel in terms of being a developer, being in assisted living and so forth and 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 really adding that sort of impact to other people. But I think what you shared there, you know, before I kind of lead back into a question in that that part of the conversation, I think it's so important what you just shared in terms of being a coach, a trainer, a leader, and really being that sort of conductor of the of the symphony, right? And understanding what all the instruments need to be playing and getting them to play a similar tune that leads into a melody, I think is so powerful. And that's a visualization that we can all understand and apply in whatever capacity that we feel is going to bring impact to what is our purpose, right? And then going back to the baseline and like the undercurrent of all this, is your level of curiosity, your level of questioning assumptions, being using the beginner's mind and questioning the dogma, right? I I love how you said the dogmatic assumptions, because there are a lot of things where people say, whether it's in in development or in real estate or, or across many businesses, it's like, look, this is the way it's done. This is the way you do it. And here's the checklist and go for it. And, and man, there's so much value in this undercurrent. So that's why I like to have these type of conversations because to me, this is almost more powerful than saying, hey, what's your system? What's your process? Because guess what? It might be different. It might be more appropriate for you to change that process based on what market you're in or what outcome you're truly serving. But I don't know if that resonates with you, Lo.
1: Yeah, well, I think for me, um, you know, we had, a, it was funny, we had we had dinner the night with a, with a, another team. We were just kind of discussing collaborative opportunities. and. Um, our, our team, we have a couple of similar personalities on on, 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 on our team at Goodhorn and um, we're just really comfortable being uncomfortable, uh, meaning that we're totally okay with um, not knowing something. We're, we're currently developing a Build to sell subdivision, and we've never done a build to sell subdivision. In fact, a lot of our career has been sort of build to rent, and sort of mocking the risk profile of build to sell. And now we're doing it, and we literally have no idea what we're doing. The first time I've ever pitched a, a, a planning and zoning committee was this project. It's going to be the first time I go in front of a city council. Um, and, and my partners are, are very similar, and, and we were kind of having a conversation with the other team. And I, I see them as you know, they're a brilliant team, but they're very much focused on you know building checklists and systems and processes. And, and look, they're they a much bigger company than us. So I'm not, this is not a critique of, it's just, we know ourselves. And I think people that are systematic and process driven, they have to know that about themselves and other people are just okay with, Hey, you know what, drop me up in Antarctica and I'll figure out a way to get back. And, and, you know, I think that for that, that's, that's kind of the game for us because the moment it becomes so systematic and so process driven, it kind of can take the fun out of it. I mean, you can really, you can really think about all the situations in which um, when something becomes systematic, it can, it can lose some of its enjoyment. Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we often, if you think about how much in, 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 in culture we like revere sports figures, it's because they're all they're both sides are working incredibly hard and, you know, they're training and they're practicing. But then when a game happens, you know, it's, it's dynamic. There's things happening and there's just things you can't really prepare for because the opponent anticipated your move and you anticipate their move. And it's a question like how far along levels are you? And, you know, I think the reason why we do that is because there's these moments where we just see art when someone, you know, Oh, he should not be diving for the end zone there and and he dives for the end zone, or she should not be trying to hit the second serve as fast as she's going to. And when we see those things, we understand that's when someone's sort of breaking free a process and system and 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 sort of moving in the art phase. And so I think there's a lot of that in business. There's a lot of opportunities to, to, to do artful things. There's a lot of opportunities that when you're sitting with a client or talking to an investor, you just sort of go off script or you go off reservation and, and you just do it because it feels natural and it feels like the right thing to do in the moment. And if you trust your judgment and you trust yourself in those situations, you can have some really cool stuff or you can just Ask them a series of predetermined questions and never explore or die deep. And, and so I've always just enjoyed the the part where I go off reservation. I like to prepare, I like to think through things, I like to have a plan, but my plan is generally basic. Uh and and instead to just fuel my way through. Whatever situation or whatever moment we're in. And, and, you know, that can be scary for a lot of people. And so I don't think it's the right thing for a lot of people, but it's the right thing for us. And, and, And that's what we get a lot of pleasure out of.
0: And I think it's, it's, it becomes appropriate when you reach a certain level of experience, right? And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're brand new in a certain endeavor, of course, it's probably best to follow best practices and to iterate when it becomes appropriate when you gain a certain level of expertise. And that's why I think it's important for us to be having this conversation because we're talking to high performing real estate investors. It's not about necessarily sticking to the framework, but it's about letting your genius come through. If you're serving someone else, it's beautiful what happens when you speak from the heart or you speak from your gut or you really truly listen to them. And act dynamically and how you're serving those other people. One of the things that I think is really cool about you and that really strikes me about you is that you're very purpose driven. So talk to me about that because the reason why I bring that up is this past weekend, I spent the weekend with a man named Rich Divini, a Navy SEAL commander for 20 plus years and he is an amazing individual. And he's he was a previous guest on Elevate. And he actually works with Simon Sinek, who wrote the book, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. And when Simon Sinek wrote that book, you know, if you think about that phrase, start with why, of course it makes a lot of sense, but there's a huge shift in terms of your real impact and, you know, the real income that your property, you know, properties, your businesses can create. And it's a total transformation in terms of not only your you know your integration with the marketplace but also your company and the people that you impact internally as well so talk to me a little bit about how purpose drives you forward and what that really means to you and really what your purpose is yeah you know, see i don't you know i don't necessarily
1: see myself as 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 distinctly purpose driven i think the reason why sometimes people have that perception is because the difference between some of what i do and what i think a lot of your other guests do is they come on and they talk about the thing that's the vehicle to get them to their why, because their why is personal, it's lifestyle, it's family, it's, you know, there's something that they want and, and they see real estate as a vehicle or their business as a vehicle. I've just m- married the purpose to the same thing. And so, um, you know, our, our business is about improving outcomes and assisted living and memory care. It's about innovating in those areas. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I think I've, uh, so to, to that point, um, you know, my dad had a really bad experience uh, when he was on hospice. And and um, so, it, it became very easy for me to be like, okay, I'm willing to push the needle and try to help these people, uh, help our clients and help our families um, through a difficult time. And so, I think it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm more purpose-driven. I think I've just managed to marry the vehicle and the why together, right? So, for some people, they're passionate about housing people or they're passionate about storing their things, right? But it's a little bit harder sometimes to be like, hey, I'm storing grandma's couch and, and that's my why. Like that's a different situation, right? So but maybe you're a minimalist and you're excited about helping people pare down their homes and things like that. So for for I think the, the reason why I may come across that way is not because I'm uniquely purpose-driven, because I think a lot of people are purpose-driven, probably some more than me. I'm pretty pragmatic about most things. However, I've, I've paired the vehicle and the business to my purpose, which is that I want to help other people Um, because I've made money before where I didn't feel like I was really helping other people. Um, And I never, I never feel the same as when I make money uh, and and have success um, when it's when helping someone is, is the, is the, is the outcome. Um, And so I think that's really the reason why I've just really tried to carve out this space where I'm not just investing for, you know, income or return, I'm investing for a purpose. and So I think that's, I think that's maybe the reason why. So with respect to your question, I appreciate it. I just think it's maybe confusing because a lot of people have, you know, their purpose is separate and the the thing that they're talking about on the show is just their vehicle. And I've just combined the two, I guess would be the answer.
0: Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook That's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I wanna tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I wanna invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're gonna get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great, great response and it's a great thought process. And you think about um, the feeling, right? The feeling of, you know, making an impact. And I do think about, you know, your experience with your dad and obviously in the moment, I'm sure that that was a, a tremendously, um, you know, terrible experience, not only for yourself, but for the rest of your family. And that's led you to find this purpose to, that that's allowed you to marry sort of the vehicle of your business with really, you know, doing what's right for other people. And so you've obviously used that now as more and more fuel to continue to push through challenges, to continue to be innovative, to continue to question assumptions. Am I assuming that correctly, Lo? Yeah, no, I think you have that that correct. I mean, you know, I think um, you know, I judge
1: people, I judge people versus their potential. You know, we we always have these people in our lives that are that are you know just like their potential we think is one thing, and they're just crushing it. And we have other people that have this 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 massive ceiling, and they just never can get out of their own way. Or they they have something going on where they can't get started. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I'm ever going to have kids. Um, so far, you know, I'm, I'm uh, undefeated on that front. Um, so. <laughs> you know, I'm 39. So for me, you know, if I, if I want to make an impact on the world, then what I've got to do is I've got to, I've got to impact people while I'm here and have to build something that, that, you know, maybe can help people after I'm gone. And so, you know, for me, that means, you know, and there's that, and the thing about what I do, and I know it's interesting people in the, the apartment business call themselves multifamily. I want to take that back because if you really think about it, you know, when you're taking care of a grandmother, there's, there's actually a couple of families behind that person you're taking care of, right? Sometimes more than two families. And so the real multifamily is assisted living and memory care because you're actually impacting not only your, your, your tenant or your resident in that case, but also the power of attorney and the, the, the brother-in-law that's handling the finances and, and, and all these people that come and visit, right? Because it's a, it's a sort of communal thing. So, um, you know, even you know, if, if I only ever, even if in my lifetime, I only care for, for 10,000 people, in that, in those settings, then, you know, that's a multiplier effect because I've had an impact on two X, three X, 10 X, 20 X, in some cases in big families uh, of those people. So, you know, that's the way I have to look at it because, you know, ultimately it's, it's hard to open facilities and hard to do those things. And, you know, I think my leadership style sort of lends itself to being a medium sized company, Um, you know, having enough scaling where I can protect myself from my own own weaknesses, but not being so big that, um, you know, as an example, uh, I had um, I had some nurses, uh, you know, and they're in long term care and they were vaccine hesitant, regardless of your opinion about vaccines, because obviously they're un- unusually controversial. Um, you would probably argue that if you're a medical professional and you're taking care of the most vulnerable, that, you know, it might be wise to take the vaccine to protect your residents or or, some, or, or protect your other team members so that you don't get sick and have to go out of work for a long time and prove strain on the team. So, you know, I was able to sit down with them and address their concerns. If I had 5,000 nurses under my employee, I probably couldn't do that. And that's why you see the big hospital systems are like, hey, we're going to mandate this because they don't have the ability to sit down with people and have a conversation on a human level to try to lead and persuade. Uh, and, and fortunately, I was able to convince the vaccine hesitant folks that it was wise to do and they, they got jabs in the arm. And again, regardless of your opinion, I want to be an effective leader and my ability to lead effectively is not writing policy. It's to touch the heart of the person across the table from me. And, uh, and only then uh, can I, uh, can I lead? Um, and so, you know, that's just an example of why I just don't think I'm sort of cut out to be a, you know, have a 10,000 bed assisted living portfolio. You know, I'm a, I'm a thousand bed, a 2000 bed guy, because at least I can still know key members of management and I can still know, uh, you know, uh, residents of, 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 uh, High reputation, whether that be because they have a certain quirk about them that makes them sort of stand out from the resident population, or because I've I've helped in, with their family in some way. You know, I, I don't think it's possible for me to know two thousand residents and their families. I don't think that's realistic, but I still get a chance to have that connection to the mission, and I still get a chance to lead the people that that do uh, the work every day.
0: Yeah, that goes back to the beginning of our conversation in in terms of awareness and knowing yourself, knowing your leadership style and knowing that and being so clear on your vision. Now you can say, well, I'm not a 10,000 bed guy. I'm a one or 2,000 bed because that aligns with my mission, that aligns with my impact, that aligns with my leadership style. And I think that is so valuable. It's so enlightening. And when you think about your leadership style, like how else would you describe it? I mean, what else has really set you apart in terms of how you lead others?
1: Well, I think, you know, I, You know, it's interesting. I think it's evolved over time. Um, I think that, I think that. you know, when I was first a leader, I, I got into leadership at a very young age. I mean, you know, obviously um, I, I had a team uh, at, at the car dealership I was working at when I was about 20. Um, and then, you know, when I was 24 hours managing managers. And, uh, you know, I think when you're insecure as a leader, which is pretty common for, for you know, I don't know a lot of 24-year-old, Guys that are real secure in themselves, you know, we put on we put on airs, right? We put on we create a lot of problems that way. But Mm -hmm. um, I think now, you know, because I, it's funny. So to unwrap that a little bit, I I think I read a lot about aging just because of the line of work I'm in, and um, America is a very ageist society, and uh, we do a lot of things that's very subtle. But I think the thing we've kind of gotten away from is that with age means that you should know yourself better. Um, and so, one of the things that I think is true is that you know a lot of the best leaders are generally a little older um, because they have that wisdom and they know themselves. And and so, I really try to approach um, uh, you know leadership first off from a self awareness point of view because if I If I'm not the right person to deliver the message and there's someone better to do that, that's the first thing. So many leaders are so caught up with themselves being the answer. Sometimes the way to lead is to have someone else deliver the message who has the relationship or has the credibility, right? Um, And so uh, different, different situations call for different things. So I like to try to think of myself as pretty flexible, mostly because I try to meet people where they are. Um, and so uh, when I have somebody that has a concern or issue, I try to really understand that concern or issue before I attempt to, to lead or try to solve a problem. Because, um, you know, our, we have a mutual friend and he sort of coined the phrase that uh, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. And it's really nowhere more true than leadership. Right. Because I can assume, you know, things about you. Um, and I think a lot of that flows from the fact that in assisted living and memory care, our tour process is generally about an hour and a half talking. And then like 15 minutes of the building. So it's a very unusual process because we have to understand, you know, what's going on medically with the with the client, you know, what's happening, where have they lived recently, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Then we have to understand the person that's usually sitting across the table from us is like a power of attorney. It's often not the, not the client themselves. Are there family dynamics? Where are they at in this, this process? Or do they want mom or dad to become strong again and become an Olympic weightlifter, right? Even though they're just fresh off a rehab for a broken hip or do they, they want them to be comfortable. Do they want them to have, you know, do they want them to gain weight, lose weight? You know, what is it they're trying to do? And so because of that process, you really have to dive and dig and sort of, you have to really find core, you know, I, I actually think a tour is really simple. You have to find pleasure and you have to find pain. You have to lead them to pleasure and you have to solve their pain, but you can't do that until, you sort of probe and really get to the core issue of of, of their problem or or how to get them more pleasure, right? Some people move in for lifestyle reasons. Some people move in because they've been falling and they want to stop falling, right? It's a pain thing. So, um, because of that, I think I've spent the last five or six years of my career really learning how to ask questions and really learning how to ask questions that I think um, create a choice. Um, My favorite questions are questions that create a fork in the road. And then I can then sort of let people choose a fork, and there's no right or wrong answer. But those choices that they make, they tell me a lot. And then, and then from there, I can continue to to sort of hone in and hone in and hone in. And hopefully, by the course of an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, sitting across from a family or, or, or sitting across from a job interviewee, uh, I can understand their why. I can understand you know what it is they're hoping to accomplish. I can sort of because when you're talking to someone that's doing a job interview or we're talking to a family, they bring baggage, they bring biases to the table. And so a lot of times we, if we take people at face value, which it's fine to do. And I think it's probably the, the the framing you should start at. But when you start seeing these little things like maybe they have a, a hang up here and, and what they're telling me is their filtered version of reality. You know, it's not uncommon to have a spouse that thinks their spouse's care needs are easier than they really are because they have a bias and they have a filter. And it's not uncommon for an interviewee to have a a strong opinion of themselves, right? So they come in with sort of this faux confidence when maybe really they're curious and and they're not sure if they can do the job. And so I think just because a lot of my interaction with with the general public is, is, uh, is interviews and is tours with families, it's just caused me to really get to a place where I ask good questions. And I think that's the that's probably the essence of of leadership is you have to understand the person, you know, sitting across the the table from you. You have to understand their actual problem, you know. And uh, if you can do that, then you can try to help them solve it. Cause I think that's really the essence of leadership in a
0: lot of cases. That is so, so good, man. And it it really brings up a recent experience that I had. We had a group of entrepreneurs on a mastermind call recently, and we had a guest speaker come in and speak to us about leadership, about growing businesses and so forth. And it was so off-putting when he began the conversation by saying, look, guys, I have the answers and you don't. And he didn't exactly say that, but he led into that without understanding any of us on the call. And it was very, very off-putting. And it really resonates with me exactly what you're talking about, because leadership is not a one size fit, fit fits all approach. It's not a, you know, here's my answer and I know all and you must follow. And if you do, here's the promised land, because we're all different, right? We all have different needs. We all have different desires. And especially in your business, obviously, you know, families, there are different needs, desires, baggage, you know, background and true like goals, right? What, what is it that you are looking to accomplish? And then crafting that and co-designing that future is what I believe is real leadership. And I think there's a lot of obviously tactics that go along with that in terms of question asking and really listening and deeply actively listening and so forth. But man, that's so insightful. And I really appreciate you sharing that because it really resonates with me. If we were to switch gears just a bit and talk about, you know, sort of whether it's, residential assisted living development or just development in general. Talk to me a little bit about numbers and so forth. And obviously you talked about, you know, the the supply chain and all the challenges that we have going on right now. We have inflation happening left and right. We have labor issues going on left and right. You know, talk to me a little bit about perhaps some of the numbers. Let's talk about some challenges. Let's talk about some opportunities. What are you seeing in your corner of the world?
1: Well, in the assisted living world, I'm in I'm in a couple of different states um, and uh, one state's been, one area has been really hard hit by natural disasters. So I would consider it to be kind of a non-normalized market, you know, when, when, you've, when you're the only market that's had, you know, two hurricanes in the same season in U.S. history, you're going to have a sort of a, a a different thing happening, right? There's businesses that are closed because they're destroyed. There's homes that still haven't been rebuilt. There's, you know, when you, you have things, that you mentioned inflation, well, you've got, you can have inflation, but then you can also have just price increases because supply demand metrics are off, right? And if 10,000 houses need roofs, then roofing materials are gonna cost more in that market than they will somewhere else. Um, and so I'm in two states. I kind of have, you know, I kind of have my finger on the pulse of the labor market of Southwest Louisiana. I kind of have my finger on the pulse of, of Dallas, and, and we'll soon have, you know, there's a, a outlier city called Denton, which is really a, a, a it's its own market really, but it's sort of also a larger part of, of DFW. Um, and so, you know, I mean, supply chains are funny right now. Um, it, it's it's funny because you have these different critical path items that come up. Like right now, our, our den project is delayed because the piece that goes between our windows, uh, we don't have it, and, and it's very hard to get. And we've been on order for those for four months. So you know, I think supply chains are interesting now because I think what I think what we probably will all learn from this, and, and the people that are developing now are going to learn a lot, is we're going to start to ask really good questions about supply chains moving forward. And I, I think that. Um, in America, we often, and some other countries don't have this experience, but in America, we just take for granted that there's always going to be a truck that comes the next day, you know, whether it be with toilet paper, whether it be with hand sanitizer, you know, face masks or or window mulling, we just take that for granted. And, you know, um, I, I think that we've sort of started to see how fragile things are. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of the inflationary sort of supply chain piece. Um, The thing about assisted living that's very interesting and also very true about apartments um, and maybe more true about apartments is that apartments really do um, benefit uh, as an inflation hedge quite nicely. Uh, because um, their ratio of rents to labor are such that you know if you have expense increases and you have rent increases, inflation, then y- your delta starts to grow. Now, I think people that don't understand money would say, well, they're making more money, but they're really not. They're making more currency, which now buys less of the thing. So they're really an inflation hedge. Um, assisted living and memory care can be very tricky. Because it's very labor centric, labor is a much bigger part of your budget, and so when you have inflation, you have to have enough rent elasticity to be able to raise rents on your 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 residents and their families because you're now no longer able to deliver care at the same price as you were when when labor rates were lower or when you weren't spending money. So I, I think um, you know from a pure inflation hedge point of view, I think I really like um, uh, I really like multifamily from that perspective. I think assisted living in memory care. Um, sort of benefits uh, in a way that it has to be done, meaning that somebody has to take care uh, of these folks. And so we're going to have to see wholesale systematic and structural changes to this industry. And the thing I've been advocating for for a long time is we need targeted immigration for healthcare workers. Um, We have a shortage right now of healthcare workers. We're going into whatever stage of the pandemic we're in. And we had a healthcare shortage going into that. Many people have chosen to left to leave the healthcare profession. So, you know, America could use a a million or 2 million, you know, caregivers and nurses right about now. Um, so I read in Texas we have an 83,000 uh, job nurse imbalance. That's in Texas. So you can just imagine, um, you know, how 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 different that sort of makes things uh, to be. So as far as the numbers go, um, I would say that a typical assisted living or memory care deal um, for us is going to often be something in an internal rate of return rate of around 20%. Um, so they, they do do a little better than some other projects. We I wouldn't say that I have a really good handle on that because one of our projects, one of our major projects was an opportunity zone deal. So it's a 10. year your hold time, and so it's possible that you know we could we could change those those figures um, if we sold a little sooner. Um, but ultimately, um, one of the things we're really excited about, and one of the reasons why I like multifamily, is um, is demographics. And if you think that there's going to be this large wave of potential residents for assisted living and memory care who are baby boomers who are aging into the business. So just to roll the clock back a little bit, I think everybody knows what a baby boomer is. They're not currently interfacing with assisted living and memory care. The average age in assisted living in America is about 87. Uh, The oldest baby boomer is like 74, 75, or let me do the math, 76 now. Sorry, I've I've been telling this story too long. So the oldest (laughs) baby boomer is 76. So they still have almost a decade before they really start to substantially interface with many components of long-term care. Um, And so, you know, we really like the idea of holding onto our assets for a longer period of time because we foresee compression um, of of capitalization rates. And because we do a unique approach to assisted living and memory care, I actually kind of think our company is gonna be more of a target of a merger uh, than an acquisition. Um, because um, what I think is going to happen is some of the big players are going to be like, Hey, like you're charging more, you're getting better outcomes. You're doing this thing. Like we've looked at your model, your buildings are a little weird. We get that, but we don't really understand what you're doing. And so rather than like try to rebuild it, we're a big company and we're just trying to juice our revenue numbers to our stockholders. So we're just going to acquire you and then keep you on as a manager. I think that's probably pretty likely in my line of work. Is, is that your intention? I think that's what's gonna happen. Um, and, you know, um, just because, I, you know, you know, no one really merges with apartments, right? They just buy your apartments because it's not really about operations as much. I mean, it, it can be, I don't, I don't wanna belittle the operational work of apartments, but it's definitely not operationally as intensive, you know, for every every bed of assisted living you're going to have half to 0.75 employees, right? So that means you've got a thousand beds, you got 500 to 750 employees, right? If you have a thousand doors, you might have 25 employees in multifamily potentially, sometimes even less. And so it's just the labor intensity of it. It's just, they're not the same. Um, so, you know, I think that's probably what's going to happen is that that's going to kind of take place. And so I think I am bullish on the idea of holding these things for another eight to 10 years, because we've kind of gone through a cycle in, in my industry where institutional money came and splashed around and just got annihilated. Um, and I think they're like, wow, the operator is really important. We can't just, <laughs> you know, treat this like other asset classes. And so there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of Wall Street institutional money players that have just gotten just demolished in my business. And it's because they don't understand that they should be betting on the jockey and ignore the horse because this is an operator business. And so your operator has to bring certain things to the table. And if they don't, um, then you're going to have problems. Um, and so that's why I think it, it makes sense to for it to be kind of a merger type of world because they probably wouldn't necessarily want to serve my gumbo if I didn't
0: cook it. So that's that's my guess. Yeah, no, this is so good. And, and man, it just illustrates how we could have this conversation for hours and hours. And we might scratch the surface in terms of not only your thoughtfulness, your introspection, and the way that you invest in your own learning and your your own leadership style and continue to evolve in that capacity. But in terms of how you're evaluating the environment, I think it's all very, very insightful. And the listeners should really take away that there's really, there's, there's always something more to learn. There's always more insight to gain. And there's always a strategy that's playing parallel in terms of your learning, your evolution, in terms of your business as well. So I think, I think it's so good. And before we really transition into our rapid fire section, before we wrap up this conversation, I would be remiss to ask you, if I didn't ask you, uh, if you were to give yourself advice from you know, a few years back as you were growing your business, and obviously you're continuing to grow your business, but what's the best advice that you would give your younger self in terms of whether it's real estate development or residential assisted living? What, what's the biggest piece of advice you give yourself?
1: You're either going to love this answer or you're going to hate this answer. When <laughs> I get asked this question, I have the same answer, which is that I wouldn't tell myself anything because anything that I tell myself would alter who I am, and it wouldn't make a difference. I think that so much of business is built around uh, shortcuts and hacks, and 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 avoiding things. When in reality, the learning happens when you are failing. The learning happens when you push yourself. And so I think when you try to give yourself, maybe the advice I would give myself is is, is just to you know uh, continue to struggle uh, because um, you know I've done a lot of things that have been difficult. I faced a lot of a lot of setbacks in, in my journey. And I've, I've you know when I used to coach people. That were taking up assisted living and memory care. um, I would really try to work with people that I thought had grit because you have to have grit in 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 business. And and I think the type of grit that you have to have in apartments is maybe different. Your grit has to be in like the deal flow acquisition side because how many deals you have to underwrite, you know that that requires a that requires a a certain type of person with a certain type of attitude. So you know I think people that are successful are the ones that develop grit. Um, And we've been we've been in a period of time now where I think there's a lot of easy money and there's a lot of stuff kind of flying around, but that won't last forever. Um, it can't. Um, and I think the people that sort of develop the ability to, again, they got a plan, they get punched, you know, now you need a new plan. And so I think the people that develop that in these times are going to be the ones that are, you know, are going to be the ones that, that succeed at whatever their definition of success is.
0: I think it's phenomenal. I think there's so much to be learned from what you just said. Continue to struggle. There are no shortcuts, right? And, and going through that struggle is where the answer is you know, there's no advice other than that. And I think that that is such a valuable thing and you can continue to expand and evolve through that struggle. And I think that's a, it's a great advice that we can all remind ourselves of, but lo, man, I could go on and on with you for a really, really long time. And so I want to be respectful of your time. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about having conversations like this and being uncommon, being introspective, being thoughtful being dynamic in terms of our personality, in terms of our approach, in terms of how we listen to other people, how we lead people and leaning into that, man, this is such a great conversation. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? You talked a lot about learning and, and reading in this conversation so far.
1: Yeah, I've spent a lot of time just, you know, cursory uh, studying the human brain. Um, you know, and I think we don't, there's a lot we don't know about the human brain. So a good book I really enjoy is uh, Brain Rules. It's 12 rules about, about the brain. Uh, number, you know, number one is exercise, you know, so I'm a little tubby. But uh, I like to exercise and I like my foods, Uh, but I do that because it's good for my brain. Um, And, you know, obviously being around people with cognitive impairment, you know, I see that day in and day out that, you know, how important exercise can be. I think the second book is uh, Now Discover Your Strengths. It's all about sort of Gallup poll based data in which they figure out why people were successful. And the people that are successful often know their strengths and they focus on their strengths so much of modern culture is like trying to refine your weaknesses, when in fact, you should often just leave those be um, or get those to an acceptable level and really just uh, focus on your strengths. And it, it basically uh, has the idea that we have neural pathways and some of us just have stronger, faster neural pathways in certain areas. There's a reason why no matter how hard I try, I'll never be a singer. It won't happen. I can't hear a tune the way someone that's a talented singer can be. Take a look at Michael Jordan, right? Great basketball player. There's a lot of running and jumping involved in basketball. There's a lot of running and jumping in baseball. He still wasn't very good at, as an outfield because his brain wasn't wired for that type of activity. They seem so close, but sometimes subtle differences make a huge difference. And then I would say um, probably factfulness. It's written by this guy who's a, a public health guy. Uh, and he actually, I think he passed away and his kids published his notes and made it into a book. And it's a great sort of apolitical approach to um, that we don't, have enough facts. And so the book starts off with a series of questions and it's like, what percentage of girls in Afghanistan do you think graduate high school? And then you fill in the numbers. And we have all these bias, we have all these biases and all these misconceptions about the world because we consume media and the media has a narrative, right? And the narrative isn't necessarily positive. Unlike a lot of people, I don't blame the media because I blame us. The media is just giving us the crap that we want. And so people that like rail on the media, will just turn it off or, or, or support media that you, that you don't. Because ultimately, when people, we stop consuming crappy media... We'll get better media when we stop electing crappy politicians. We'll get better politicians. So factfulness really takes the approach of it. Kind of sets the baseline that we're so uneducated about facts uh, that we basically act in this. We act and make all these decisions in a fact in a, in a, in a factless world, and we need to get more you know prone to understanding the facts. So I think those are probably the three books that I think probably come to mind when asked that question.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it was so interesting when when it showed that chimpanzees when answering those questions were more accurate than human beings or even highly intelligent, you know, regarded scholars and so forth. So I thought that was really, really insightful. Well, it
1: exposed, it exposed that your our biases are so strong that you can ask a college professor and maybe not in their discipline, but like in a somewhat related discipline and they'll bring baggage to the table that makes them less accurate than a chimpanzee. <laughs> it's not against education. It's basically exposing that we're all, especially now in the world of social media, we all exist in our own curated reality. But that doesn't make the reality factful. And so we have to challenge our own biases all the time to make sure that our lens of looking through the world doesn't make us less accurate than a chimpanzee randomly picking A, B, C, or D.
0: Lo, that was so good, man. And I loved your reasons why. And and I could talk a lot about brain rules as well, but I'll, I'll, I will leave that for part two, because I I guarantee we're going to have part two of this discussion at some point, because man, there's so many different directions we could go with this entire conversation. But aside from what we've already talked about today, Lo, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I think, I think helping others. I mean, I don't have the luxury, you know, some people, uh, you know, their ability to develop other people, it's, it's a luxury for me, it's a necessity. I mean, I have a lot of people that I count on on my team that take, that take care of very vulnerable people. Um, And so I think what I try to do is just try to try to help them uh, be smarter, quicker, stronger. And so I really try to help people around me uh, get better. Um, And, uh, you know, I try to coach and train and lead when, when I can. And, I always feel most frustrated when I'm, you know, working on some project or in the business and I get away from the root of coaching, training and leading, which is 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 the most fun part of what I do. Even if it's hard, it's definitely the most fun part because when I see a person, you know, start at point A and end up at point Z, it's it's very it's very rewarding for me in a lot of ways.
0: It's a pattern that I've observed between the most successful people that I've spoken to is that when I ask them how they elevate themselves, they're really talking about in many ways how they're elevating others around them as well. And I think that's so powerful. It's such a great pattern for us all to really observe and delineate further in our own lives. And my last question for you before we wrap today is what's the biggest way that you elevate others? Is there anything additional that you would add to that?
1: You know, I, you know, I think it's probably covered, but I really try to understand what their situation is and what they what they want. And and when I understand that, I can I can then facilitate helping them get there. Um, you know, I think the thing I try to do is I've had some situations before where I've had families tour with me or I've had people apply for a job. And when I understand their why, I'm like, I don't think this is a job you should take. Um, I had a guy that, that applied for a job and I asked him the number one reason why. And he told me that, He uh, had a daughter that had a rare condition and he wanted to be close to a hospital that was the world's leading hospital for treating that condition. That hospital was like 45 minutes away from where he'd applied. And I was like, look, if that's your why, you're going to pass 30 other jobs uh, on the way to this one. So I said, why don't we work on trying to find you the right job? You know, so it, again, it's, it's, it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about say, it's not about my companies. It's about, Hey, what do you need? And can we help you in some way? So instead of like pitching him on the job and trying to fit the square peg in a round hole, I'm like, let's find you a job close to the hospital. Um, and so that, that's kind of an example of what I mean when I say figuring out what someone really needs.
0: Yeah. It's like taking the long way and going through a little struggle, right? It's like, you wanted to fill that role, I'm sure, but you also wanted to do the right thing. And in the long run that pays off and that elevates others. And Man, that is that is a great example. But Lo, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today?
1: No, uh, other than uh, if allowable, um, if, uh, and you can edit this out if it's not. But uh, <laughs> in the event that people want to get a hold of me, um, just head to our website, uh, Goodhorn Capital. Um, you can obviously reach me there uh, if you're interested in employment opportunities in the assisted living memory care space, investment opportunities. Um, you know, I don't coach and train uh, people how to start those businesses anymore, but uh, I can point you in the right direction direction. So, you know, just reach out and I'll, I'll try to be a connector and help in any way that I can. Whether you want a job, whether you want to be a partner in some way, or whether you uh, you want to learn about investing, you know, please reach out at, at goodhorncapital.com.
0: Absolutely. And that was going to be my next shout out is we're going to put a link in the show notes as to how you can find Goodhorn Capital, whether it's goodhorncapital.com. And uh, lo, man, until next time, I really appreciate you taking time. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and we will see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Wow. Elevate Nation. That was a phenomenal conversation with the dynamic, the introspective. And I got to tell you, uh, the hilarious low hornbuckle. You may have not caught that in the conversation because he was very subdued in many ways and very introspective and very thoughtful. But I'm telling you, this is a very dynamic individual and someone who I deeply respect and appreciate, uh, just the way that he approaches life and business and, you know, his impact and uh, the clarity of his impact in terms of how he helps other people through residential assisted living and development and real estate in general. So such a great guy. and, And I just want to encourage you to delineate. What are your top takeaways from this episode? What are the top three takeaways that you took from this episode? I've got several written down right in front of me. So I want to encourage you to jot those down, make a note of that and share those with a friend, share those distinctions, those takeaways with someone that you care about or someone that you maybe just met, or maybe it's someone that you'd like to get to know further. Hey, I just listened to this podcast and I think that you would appreciate X, Y, and Z. And so really that's what it's all about. Of course, repetition is the mother of all skill. Listen again, Because when you listen again, you learn something new. And when you have a discussion with someone else, that's when you understand that distinctions can come from different directions. Our mind hears certain things. Other people's mind hears other things. So I want to encourage you to not only take repetition but also surround yourself with other people, have a discussion about this episode. And at the end of the day, the most important piece is to take massive action because that's the best way to learn is to put things into practice. And until next time, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.